Chapter 15 of the Boy Scouts in the Rockies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Kenneth Sargent Gagan. The Boy Scouts in the Rockies by Herbert Carter. Chapter 15 A Fierce Fight with Eagles. But although Stephen spoke so flippantly, he was far from being as confident as he pretended. In fact, as he proceeded downward, he found his task getting more and more difficult. One thing that bothered him was the getting up again. He just felt sure that he would not be able to accomplish it. But then, if it came to the worst, doubtless the balance of the descent was no harder to manage than this. And after first sending his big horn down, he might pick up his own way after it and the others could follow as best they saw fit. Stephen was a self-reliant boy at any rate. Sometimes the scoutmaster feared too much so, and since he had said he was going to get that game and was already part way down the face of the rocky wall, there was nothing to be done but keep right along, which he proceeded to do. He could not get the slightest glimpse of his comrades. They were somewheres up above him, but just as the guide had declared, the face of the wall fell away in places, and this kept taking him further beyond their range of vision. Whatever he could do so without imperiling his supports, Stephen would crook his neck and look downward, in the hope of seeing where the sheep lay. He could not help thinking how much easier this effort would come for him, if a kindly nature had given him the extensive neck that Giraffe possessed. There it is, he exclaimed joyfully, as his anxious eyes fell upon an object a short distance below and which he knew must be the crumpled body of his bighorn. And I ought to get there now without breaking my neck. Wow! That was a near tumble, all right. Careful, boy, careful now. Them horns of yours ain't grown big enough to drop on like the sheep do. He halted for a full minute, not that he was so tired in the arms, but to recover from the shock received when he came so nearly falling. Then once more resuming his labors, he presently had the satisfaction of dropping beside the motionless body of his victim. Bighorns and Smithy had, was his first exclamation as he bent over. The better to see, and at the same moment he came conscious of the fact that some buzzards or some other big birds were swooping around close by, making him think they had looked on his dead sheep as their next dinner. Guess perhaps I'd better be tossing it over here and let it roll down to the bottom. Then come follow the best way there is, and... Something gave him a sudden, fierce blow that knocked Stephen down on his hands and knees, and he might have rolled over the edge of the narrow shelf, only for his good luck in catching hold of the sheep's rounded horns. "'Quit that, you silly. You nearly knocked me over that time,' he shouted angrily, his very first thought being that one of the other boys, presumably Davy Jones, because he was so smart about climbing everywhere, had followed after him, and this was rudely announcing his arrival, close on the heels of the first explorer. But as Stephen raised his head to look, to his surprise, he failed to see anyone near him. A dreadful suspicion that Davy might have pitched over the edge of the narrow shelf after striking him assailed the scout, and he was almost on the point of looking, when suddenly there was a rush of great wings, and he dropped flat on his face, just in time to avoid being struck a second time. "'Wow! Eagles and mad as hops at me for coming here!' gasped Stephen, as raising his head cautiously. Like a turtle peeping out of his shell, he caught sight of two wheeling birds that came and went with tremendous speed. He noted the spread of their mince wings, and it seemed to Stephen 
as if in all his experience he had never before gazed upon more powerful birds than those two Rocky Mountain eagles. Perhaps they had a nest nearby with young eaglets in it, and fancied that he was bent on robbing them. Then again, the big birds might have decided they could make good use of that fine quarry that had lodged in the rock so conveniently near their nest, and resented the coming of another claimant. But no matter what the contributing cause might be, they were undoubtedly as mad as a wet hen, as Stephen afterwards declared, in telling of his adventure there on that shelf, fully a hundred feet from the top and the bottom on the steep face of the mountain. His first thought was how he could fight back, for he saw that he was to be at the mercy of the great birds that swooped down again and again, striking him viciously at him with claws and beaks and powerful wings until the boy was bleeding in half a dozen places. And casting his eyes about, even as he fought with his bare hands and shouted for assistance at the top of his voice, Stephen made a little discovery. A tree must have grown up above at one time or another, for there, stuck fast in the crevice of the rock, he saw a pretty good-sized remnant of a branch that he believed would make a fair cruddle, better than his bare hands at any rate, with which to strike at the attacking eagles. When he had clutched this in his eager hand, the boy felt more confident, and watching his opportunity, he did manage to meet the swoop of the next bird with a whack that sent it whirling back. But they quickly learned to adopt other tactics, now that he was armed, both of them coming together for opposite directions, so that unable to dodge or hit back properly, Stephen again found himself getting the worst of the fight. Would his comrades be able to do anything for him? Or was he to be left there on that shelf of rock to either conquer his savage enemies alone and unaided or succumb to their ferocious assaults? And all the while he was beating at them with his might and main Stephen kept up a constant shouting. He had a double purpose in this, hoping to tempt one of his companions to descend to his rescue, carrying a gun, since they seemed unable to hit the birds from above. Though several shots had been fired, and then again it was possible, the sound of a human voice would, by degrees, cause the eagles to haul off. "'Take that way,' the boy cried, whenever he succeeded in reaching either of his feathered assailants with his club. "'Come on at me again, will you? Just wait and see what happens to you.' "'Ouch! That hurts some now. Oh, if I could only swing the club around better without being afraid of tumbling over. Wouldn't I knock their heads off? Wow!' Once more you'll have it, will you? See the feathers fly. I believe they're weakening some. Sure I do. But what about me? I'll bleed to death yet if they keep on tapping me like that. So Stephen went on, shouting and whacking away, doing the best he was able under the circumstances. Nobody could ever say at any rate, but what he put up a strapping good fight of it. He kept thinking, but all the same he cast an anxious eye upward wherever he could find a chance hoping to see a pair of human legs heave in sight, and discover the welcome faith of either Davy Jones or the guide. Bring a gun! Bring a gun! That was about the burden of his shouts. He hoped those above understood what he was saying. The eagles seldom went far outside a given circle, so that they could only be glimpsed from above, occasionally, and it was like shooting at a disappearing target in a gallery, to try and hit them under such circumstances. Stephen had knocked one of the great birds down for the sixth time, and was dismayed to see that he had not even then disabled it, since it immediately started to fly again. No wing had been broken by his club, when he thought he caught the sound of a human voice close by. 
Then some loose stones rattled down beside him, giving him a thrill of joy, for he knew well reinforcements were on the way, and it nerved him to fight on. Another minute, and someone dropped down beside the crouching Stefan, who was breathing hard from his exertions, but still full of pluck, as a true scout should always be. "'Toby!' he called out in a quivering voice, and looked very grim with his face so scratched and streaked with blood. "'Oh, I'm sure glad to see you, but gladder to notice you got your gun. Look out! They are coming again! Dodge, Toby, dodge! They're on to you!' But the guy had snatched his gun from his back, where it had been securely fastened with a stout cord. He had no time to aim or fire just then, only to swing the barrel around and strike viciously at the swooping birds that threw its claws forward as it pounced upon him, just as a fishhawk might do on striking the water. The attack was quickly parried, and no, Toby also had a streak of blood on his cheek, where one of those ferocious wings had struck him. Now he turned the gun quickly around in his hands, "'Leave one for me, Toby,' pleaded the boy, eagerly. "'I ought to have the pleasure of knocking one over after what they'd have done to me. "'Oh, you put it to that gay old robber of honest fishhawks, sure you did. "'And he's gone down below, decks for good. "'Give me your gun, Toby, I must have it, I tell you.' And the guide, understanding as well as sympathizing with the spirit that had caused the others to cry out in this fashion, did thrust his repeating rifle into the hands of Stephen. After throwing a discharged shell out and sending a fresh one into the firing chamber, with a satisfaction that words could never paint, Stephen followed the swinging form of the remaining eagle as it flew around, so as to get in line for another swoop, and just as the great bird started to come down at them, the boy pulled the trigger. His aim was true, and the second eagle pitched forward, whirling over and over as it went tumbling down the face of the descent, just as its mate had done. "'Hurrah!' shouted Stephen tremendously, pleased with the final outcome of the fight with a pair of fierce pirates of the upper air currents. "'That's what they get for tackling me, ain't it, Toby? We gave them what they needed, didn't we? But say, I'm just thinking, that's going to be a tough old job for me to get back up where the boys are, and that perhaps we will have to keep on climbing down after shoving the big horn off the shelf. And the guide, after recovering his breath, which had been used up in his recent hasty movements in coming to the rescue, looking over the edge, admitted that he believed such a course was the only one left to them. End of chapter 15 Recording by Kenneth Sergeant Gagan